I just want to lift up this time now. I want to, I want to give this hour that we have together and, and dedicate it to you. This is, this is your time to work. Not that you don't work after and not that you don't work on Monday, that, that you're always active. And yet, in, in a special way, we're gathered together as your people and expecting you to speak through your word. And, and we want to have open hearts to whatever you want to say to us this morning, whatever you want to do in this place this morning. And so I pray that as we dive into Acts 3 right now, that you would use this time in a powerful, powerful way, and, and even individually in all of our lives in different ways. So please bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> I'd invite you to Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> we are talking about the mission of God in Acts Acts chapter 3 <clears throat> My question is <clears throat> do you believe in miracles miracles Now that's kind of a loaded question it can be a loaded question because you might want to clarify and say, well, do you mean biblical miracles? Because of course I believe Jesus healed the blind, the Red Sea parted. Yes, I do. But do you believe in modern day miracles? Does God do things today that we would consider uh, apart from nature in the natural world? Does God do the miraculous today? And, and then you might take it a step further and say a lot of people claim miracles, but I'm not sure what they claim qualifies as miracles and so there can there can arise a skepticism as we hear uh tv preachers and evangelists say certain things and make certain claims and we go i just don't i don't know about that but miracles were part of the early church and they help us understand in some ways what their role would be for us today i want to start this morning though with four Mistaken views of miracles. <clears throat> Four views of miracles that I would say are incorrect. And maybe you hold some of these, so I'm not trying to get on your case, but, but at the same time, to think some of these things through with me. Four mistaken views of miracles. <clears throat> Here they are. Uh, and I, I just called them different things so that we can kind of be memorable. But uh, the first one is God the Great Watchmaker. And in the view, God the great watchmaker, it says God typically almost never does miracles because what God did was he created the world, put the laws of nature in motion, and then he stepped back. Like a watchmaker makes the watch, winds it up, and just lets it run. And typically God does not interact in human affairs. He's like the great watchmaker. And yet we know that doesn't square with the God who regularly interacts with his people in the Bible. And even if we can't always discern what he's doing, we can be assured he's acting on our behalf. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. So God, the great watchmaker. The second one is we'll call science rules. And in science rules, science rules also tries to squeeze God out of the picture. But it does so by saying everything that happens in the world can be explained by science. And even if, even if something happens that's mysterious, that we have no explanation for, just wait, science will catch up. 
and there will be a rational explanation for whatever happened. If someone miraculously got healed, there has to be a scientific explanation behind it. Because God doesn't enter in and do those kinds of things. Science explains everything. And if it can't, just wait. It will eventually. And then there's number three, which is uh, the God of the gaps. I don't know if I know anybody that holds to this view, but the God of the gaps uh, is, is this view that, that says um, there are some mysteries in nature. You know, there's some things we don't understand. And, and science explains most things, but if you don't understand something, that's definitely God. It, it's the God of the gaps. If you can't explain it, it's got to be God. The problem with that view is that what happens if science ends up explaining the gap, right? What if there is a scientific explanation for something, and then it's like, well, that wasn't your God now, was it? You've got to kick him out now. It, it, uh, well, I'll leave that there. We'll, we'll keep talking a little later. But, um, and then lastly, there's the God behind every bush. Th- this one is the one that's like, I was trying to find a parking place at Walmart, and I shot up a little prayer, and there was the front row spot. It's a miracle! You know, and and I had a cold and, and it only lasted 24 hours. It's a miracle. Now, the problem with the God behind every bush, and, and, and you kind of get the picture, is God is doing miracles all the time in your life, every second. And, and you can always look around and just see miracle, 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 miracle. The problem with that view is if everything's a miracle, then nothing's a miracle. Right. That, that, that's the issue. Now, if you fall into one of these categories, and let me address the science rules one. Uh, if, if you happen to be someone that says science can explain anything, everything, and I would even go a step further than science and say I don't even believe in God, I'm just here because someone invited me, let me just say this. If you were to experience a miracle, you probably wouldn't understand it as a miracle, right? I mean, I think that's just being honest. Because we know there's, there's things called optical illusions where, you're, where you're, your eyes play tricks on you and you're seeing something that's not really there. We know these kinds of things, right? And so, I mean, Jesus said it like this. If someone from the dead comes back to life and, and shares, you still won't believe it. There, there's always going to be a way to explain away something, right? But I would say if you're in that category of not believing in God, that you would just give me the grace to just listen to this and see what you think of where this goes today. All right, I want to take you to Acts chapter 3. We are in the early church. Uh, Jesus has uh, ascended back to heaven, but his church, his people, are now starting to share the message. Acts 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all people saw him 
walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. We'll pause there. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. And you can see now in the early church, Peter and John, as disciples of Christ, were doing the normal Jewish thing. You go to the temple at the hour of prayer, and you pray, and you give alms, and, and, and you do these things. And so, so they're going into the temple, and they're going through the beautiful gate, which is this huge gate that's overlaid with Corinthian bronze, incredibly expensive. When the light hits it, it's beautiful, so they called it the beautiful gate. And at the beautiful gate, there's a crippled man, crippled from birth. So this is a guy that he was born this way, and you imagine he's been carried around his entire life and, 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 they, and his friends set him here because, of course, this is where you would be. As people are going to the temple, they're doing their religious duties. And, of course, one of those would be to give to the poor, to give to the needy. And so he's been begging his whole life. And here he is. And they all know him. They all know who he is. I wish we had a name, but he's there at the gate. And, and Peter and John see him and... and and he's kind of like, he thinks he's going to get something, but Peter says, look at us, look at us. And he has, to look, he has to look at the apostles. And then Peter says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And then he takes him by the right hand and lifts him up. And the guy starts jumping around and praising Jesus and going. Instead of sitting at the gate, he actually is able to walk in to the temple. Now, of course, this gathers a big crowd and people say, hey, did you see uh, uh, Jacob the cripple? He's been healed, you know. And, and, so, and all the people are talking, yeah, I saw him yesterday. What's going on? Well, he's walking around. He's in the temple. What's going on? And so everybody's gathering. And we don't know if Peter, like, did Peter know, like, all along he was going to preach a sermon at this point, you know, like now he's got everybody's attention and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach. Or, or maybe it was just in the moment. He just saw everybody's excitement and everybody was gathered. And, and, and you see that the crippled guy, he's the healed guy, is now clinging to Peter and John. He's like holding on to them. So it's like, I'm with these guys. And, and they're all standing there. And, and Peter's like, it wasn't us that did this. We didn't do this. This was Jesus. And suddenly you get the impression that even though Jesus went back into heaven and said, I'm going to be leaving you, apparently he actually didn't leave them because he left them his name and his power. Right? Apparently that Jesus went back to heaven and said, I'm starting my kingdom here on earth. I am the king and you're my people and you're going to do powerful things. And so they did. How, I, want to, I want to get like a laser focus on this to help us understand this a little bit. And then we'll, then we'll broaden it a little bit. My laser focus is going to go into why, why did God do apostolic miracles? Why did God have his apostles, you know, the 12 guys? Minus Judas. 
Why did he have them do miracles in the early church? Why, why are they walking around healing people? What's going on? And, and so I'm not talking about modern day miracles to start with. I'm talking about apostolic miracles, the miracles of the apostles. Let me give you three reasons, and you'll see these in the text. Number one, um, apostolic miracles authenticate the messenger. They authenticate the messenger. Two things I'll call your attention to. In verse 4, Peter says, look at us. Look at us. But later he says, we didn't do this by our power. So you know Peter's not on a power trip, even though he is acting in power. He's saying it's not our power. It's not our piety. It's, it's not us that did this, and yet he wants the crippled guy to look at us. Look at us. There's something important about us that God is trying to say to you about us. Miracles authenticate the messenger. And so what Peter says is, in his sermon, he says, you all killed Jesus. And now he's risen from the dead, and Peter says, we, this is verse 15, we are his witnesses. We're his witnesses. And so what miracles do is they say, you see that messenger, you see that guy teaching? That guy is the real deal. And God does a miracle through that person to authenticate who he is. When you think about it, um, it's kind of like some of you are into maybe sports memorabilia, you know, and, and you want to buy these autographed baseballs and autographed jerseys. But if you're going to buy those things, what do you have to have with it? You all know what it is. The certificate of authenticity, right? In other words, somebody was right there when that guy was signing it, when that sports star was signing the baseball or signing the jersey. There was someone there saying, I saw it. I saw him sign it. That was really him. And I can sign off on it and say, yep, that was the guy. This is not a fake. And the apostles are saying, we saw Jesus. He rose from the dead. Dead people don't normally come back to life. We saw him. We touched him. And God was saying, let me just sign off on this. And he gave him power. That's the first reason the apostles did miracles. Uh, the second reason the apostles did miracles is to call attention to the message, the actual message that, that Peter is preaching here. When, in verse 17, you acted in ignorance. You know, you killed Christ. You didn't know what you were doing, but you did it. And so uh, he says in verse 16, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, who you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. Faith in Jesus has made this man well. You see, he connects the message of the gospel with the miracle. It, it's not that, that Peter just says, rise up and walk. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's where the power's at. Miracles call attention to the message. Everybody listen to what I'm about to say. Ah, uh, Kids, this is totally for you. You all know what this means? Yeah, some of you did it. Yeah, like, I bet you didn't have to think about it. You just did it. Because it's just like ingrained in you. In school, when the teachers do that, i got to pay attention. It gets everybody's attention. And so when Peter and John did the miracle, everybody was gathered around. Everybody was like, i got to see what happened. I know that guy. And it gathered a whole bunch of people. And in our, in our day, there's tons of messages. There's, you, you could be on the news all day long if you wanted. You could read political opinions all day long. I hope you don't. <laughs> you could watch 
You could watch NFL stuff all day long. They have their own network, right? You know, you could watch football games and, anal- and analysis. You could 24-7, you could be plugged in to whatever messages you choose to hear. They're all out there. There are so many messages, so much communication, so much information coming your way. But this is the one that's important. And we've got to call attention to it. And God says, I want you to shut everything else out and look at what I'm doing right here. Um, thirdly, apostolic miracles signal a new era of revelation. I want to read the end of Peter's sermon. This is the second part of Peter's sermon. He says, verse 17, And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets. So as I read this, look for Old Testament background. Look for revelation stuff in, in this section. You'll see it as we go. Uh, God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come on you in the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant God has made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall be all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I'll just call your attention. There's a lot there, but I'll call your attention to verse 22. Moses said, he's quoting Deuteronomy now, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. That's Deuteronomy 18.15, by the way. What Peter does is he says, you guys all listen to Moses, and you listen to Samuel, and you listen to, to the prophets, Isaiah. You listen to all these guys. Now listen to Jesus. Because all those guys were talking about this guy. All those writers of, of Revelation, writers of the Pentateuch, writers of the prophets, the minor prophets, the major prophets, all those books in the Bible, they were all pointing forward to Jesus. Now listen to Jesus. Do you get the point? Apostolic miracles signal a new era of Revelation. And so what we see in the Bible, this is really interesting, is you have... You have miracles throughout the Bible, but you have certain intense concentrations, clusters of miracles, don't you? Like you have Moses and Joshua and all the miracles that they did. And they were also writing Scripture. It was the revelation of God. And then you had Elijah and Elisha who were great prophets. And they were writing the revelation of God. And now you have 400 years of silence. And then you have Jesus. And the revelation of God. So, so, so you see a connection between miracles and God is saying things. He's revealing himself in the pages of the Bible as, as people were writing down his words. Now, that would be, I believe, a great understanding of Acts 3. I want to take it to our level now and ask the question, but what does this mean for modern day miracles? Because I'm not an apostle. I don't know that we have any apostles here. What 
do we do with this? Should we expect miracles in our midst as the people of God? Well, to answer that question, I'm going to need a snowball. Brandon, you want to get my snowball? Or the one you made? All right, thank you. Um, <clears throat> to understand this question, you have to get at two different things here. What are miracles and what is providence? So let's do providence first. Number one, providence. Uh, I'm just giving you a theologian's definition of providence here. Um, first, we have to consider God's providence as the continuing action of God in preserving his creation and guiding it towards its intended purposes. Now that's very scholarly. Let me just say it like this. Is God active in the world today? And we answer yes. He's incredibly active in the world today. And as I said earlier, when Jesus went back to heaven, the idea was he was going to continue to reign. That's the kingdom of God. It's here now. Not not fully Right? It's the already not yet thing. If, if you like theology, it's like there's a sense when the kingdom's here and yet one day Jesus is going to return and set it up. If you want to sit in the front row, Brian, that'd be great. Don't let it melt. Okay. Um, so this, there's this idea that, that, that the kingdom is here right now. When Jesus came and lived on earth, he, he inaugurated the kingdom of God, right? God's reign. God is king. And this king is active in the world today. We just had an election, and we would say God is sovereign, Romans 13, over our rulers. That that somehow people can, in their free will, we can cast a vote. And we've got to live with the consequences of our vote, for good or for ill. We vote. It's a free will choice, and the American people speak that way. And yet, I can read Romans 13 and say, it's not just about free will, it's about God's sovereign purposes. What He's doing, He's active, He's involved. When you go in for surgery, you want to pick a skilled doctor. I don't want to pick an unskilled doctor and just pray that he has a good day. You know? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, Is it the skilled doctor's hands and brain? Or is it the providence of God that has entered into that and acted in that moment? And we'd say both. We'd say both. That God is doing His thing, His will, His purposes in every moment of every day of your life. He's constantly active, which is why the God of the gaps is messed up and and why God the watchmaker is so messed up because it tries to squeeze God out and say, God, you're not active in this world. And God says, yes, I am. Every second of your life I'm active. You don't know it, but I'm always doing stuff. While you're sleeping, I'm doing stuff. I'm always doing stuff. And then there's uh, miracles. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great definition of miracles about being when, when God acts within, the supernatural acts within nature. But I really like uh, Grudem's definition because um, I think it calls our attention to something very important. Like we all know miracles are something that shouldn't happen, but they do anyway, right? But like, like nature would take this course, but then God reaches in. Um, number two, let's get the, the Grudem definition of miracle. We could consider a miracle as a less common, I think that's important, less common type of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Isn't that Acts chapter 3 right there? Everybody's like, 
See the guy, he's healed, he's walking in the temple. Everyone's talking about it. It's the miracle that focuses your attention on God. That shouldn't have happened. I should have died in the car wreck, but I didn't. I, I should have died of this illness, but, but God stepped in and I didn't. This shouldn't have gone this way, but God. And, and then you tell people and people are like, that's amazing. How is it that that pastor could have written me that email on the day I got in that car wreck that could have taken my life? That's crazy timing, people. And that happened to me. So how does God do this? It's a miracle. And God says, I'm here. I mean, I'm always here. I'm always doing stuff. I just want to let you know in a special way, I'm here. And I'm doing this on your behalf for my glory. Snowball. I'm going to bring it up, Brayden. All right. Uh, I want to make sure you understand now the difference between providence and miracles. Maybe you've already got it, but I just want to illustrate it. Come over here, Brayden. Um, you stay right there. Now, if Braden were to throw that snowball at me, you want to get in the pose? All right, good, good, good. Um, if Braden were to throw that snowball at me and it missed, it missed me, I'd say, you know, e- either it's Braden, he didn't throw it well enough, or it's God's providence, you know. I-, I got out of it, you know. Or maybe it does hit me and it's, it's, it's is it your skill in throwing snowballs? Or is it God that says, I want to teach Niall a lesson and Braden's going to be the guy to do it? You know? Right, but but I would I wouldn't get hit by the snowball and say miracle. But I might say I had it coming. You know, <laughs> right? I might have it coming. Now, that would be providence. I know it's a crude example. Forgive me. It's providence. Now, let's say Brandon came up behind me and he held the snowball right above my head. I take it by the laughing. You're actually doing it, right, Brandon? Right above my head. And let's say, just, just hypothetically, Braden, you know what that means, right? You were to drop it. <laughs> hypothetically, don't actually do it. If you were to drop it right above my head, and it would like, and if it kind of like moved to the right and then dropped, and you saw it, like, like it was almost like gravity was suspended. It was almost like an invisible hand reached in and took the snowball and said, not today, Braden, and moved it over and then dropped it beside me. That would be a miracle, Right? Thank you, Brayden. You can smash your face in it now. Oh. <laughs> you can throw it outside for me, actually. We probably should let it melt in here. Um, if Brayden were to drop the snowball, and you saw the snowball go like this, and then drop, you would say, gravity doesn't work that way. It was almost like an invisible hand took the snowball, moved it, and then dropped it. Miracle. And if one day science has an explanation for it, I'm going to say, Providence. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. In other words, whether it's providence or a miracle, you've got to agree God is acting in our world today. He's having His way with the surgeon's hands, with the leaders we have, with walking down the road, with your kid falling out of a tree and not breaking his leg. Whatever you want to say, God's having His way. And you can trust Him. He's sovereign. Now, how much time do I have left? Let's see. Oh, I got a few minutes. Um, I know that brings up a couple other questions in your mind. Does God still give the gift of healing and the gift of miracles? Um, we can bring up the First Corinthians passage. Um, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. Then gifts, notice the plural, gifts, 
of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues? Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he talks about love, chapter 13. I read this and I go, does God give the gift of healings, the, the, the gift of miracles to some people? And I'm like, well, I'm just standing on what the Bible says and saying, yeah, yeah. He still does miracles and he still picks people to do miracles. Now, I think it's interesting, and this is just an observation. This is, this is my understanding of how I would interpret this. I'd say, oh, yeah, he gives the gifts. He says so right here. And then it says, gifts of healing. I called your attention to the plural. Gifts of healing. I don't know anybody that could go into a hospital, except for Jesus, and just go bed to bed and say, I heal you, I heal you, I heal you, I heal you, I heal you. And if they did have that gift, they just need to spend their time in the hospital, right? But if I met a person that was driving down the road in Madison one day and and, and felt strongly the impression that he was supposed to go to this hospital where his friend was at and pray for healing over him. I did meet a guy like that, and he went to the hospital in obedience. He's like, I don't even believe in this kind of thing. But I felt like God was telling me to go and pray for this guy's healing. So I thought, God, if you're telling me this, I'm going to go do it. So he showed up in the hospital, prayed over the guy, and the guy's healed. This is the testimony. And, And so I read this and I go, gifts of healing, plural, gifts of healing. Again, my opinion is, God gives gifts of healing to his people. And it doesn't mean they get to go in and just heal everybody randomly. But that there's moments when God says, I want you to heal this guy, this woman, go to it. And then they say, I will, and they go and they heal. And that person had the gift of healing. That's the only explanation I have for that. Do you want to see this in the church? I hope you do. I hope you do. Why would you not want to see the power of God at work? Let, let me say something. Um, who, when Peter healed the crippled man, he didn't just say, rise up and walk. And I, I told you earlier, he said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Why do we say in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus' name is power. What name do you bear? Christian. A little Christ, Acts 11, when people started calling people Christians. You bear Jesus' name. Doesn't that mean you have a measure of power within you because of him? Peter said, it wasn't our piety. It wasn't our power. It was the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. He says it like three times. The name of Jesus in Acts 3. The name of Jesus. That's why when you pray, you say in Jesus' name, not because it sounds good, Because hopefully you're praying according to Jesus' will, in his name, in the power that he has as the Son of God. You have that name. Now that leads to a last question, and then we'll respond in worship. Does everybody get healed? And if, if if my understanding of the gifts of healing is correct, that means not everybody gets healed. But I'd also say, is God's will for everybody, every, every Christian to get healed? I, I'd say yes and no, because eventually we're going to be in heaven and you're going to be healed. 
Heaven is special because it says he's going to wipe away every tear and there'll be no, no more sickness. Why does Revelation have to tell us there'll be no more sickness if he's going to wipe it all out in this life? It wouldn't make sense. Some people look at Isaiah. We can put that up. Um, I was in a... Uh, I was with a pastor recently and we were praying for somebody for healing. And the pastor that was with me said, Jesus died to heal you from every sickness. He is going to heal you. Um, he's already paid for your healing. He's going to heal you now. And prayed that way. And, and it's taken from a passage like this where he's wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Healed. And so some people, especially in Pentecostal circles, say, Jesus died for every sickness. You just need to claim it by faith. And if you don't get healed, it must be a problem with your faith. It's not a problem with Isaiah. It's a problem with you. I just want to say that is incredibly damaging to the person it's said to. I just want to say that. Incredibly damaging. Would you go so far as to say spiritual abuse? I might go almost that far because it's putting something on them. You don't have enough faith. And you're going to carry that shame the rest of your life. And I've met people in that category of carrying the shame. I look at the New Testament and I say, is that the experience of people in the New Testament that every sickness is healed? Because obviously the apostles are doing miracles and crippled people are standing up to walk. Certainly if there was a time period where we see every person being healed, it would be that time period. But we don't see that. And we don't even see the apostles healed of every sickness. A few verses I call your attention to. There's more. I'm just going to give you a few. Uh, next one, whatever is next in line, Jim. Uh, you know this one. We always joke about this one because it's about drinking. But uh, no longer drink. Timothy's writing to, Paul's writing to Timothy. And he says, don't drink only water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul healed people. Why didn't he heal Timothy? He didn't. I would have expected a boom, you're healed, Christ paid for this. Why wouldn't you apply Christ's healing work to this? Next passage. This is Paul talking about himself. He says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Apparently Paul had a really bad thing with his eyes. And it was an ailment, and, and the Galatians helped them, and they were compassionate. But he says, I had this ailment, that's why I ended up preaching the gospel to you. The Paul that can heal others can't heal himself. But that's not how we see the power of God working. Paul's faith wasn't deficient. The guy ended up seeing heaven at one point. I'm pretty sure he was strong in his faith. But look what God did with it. It was because of it he preached the gospel to the Galatians. God uses our illnesses to bring him glory. And if he heals you, it's to bring him glory. And in the end, whether you're healed in this life or not, he brings himself glory. And so I know all of us handle pain and illness differently. I'm not saying this is a one-size-fits-all. 
I know we all have to wrestle with what God is doing in our life when it comes to our own pain. It's not, I can't just say, well, you're sick because you've got to preach the gospel to somebody. I'm not saying that. It might be. It could be a lot of different reasons why you're sick. But I do know it's for God's glory. I do know that. And if he does a miracle and takes that away, it's also for his glory. You bear the name of Christ. And sometimes bearing the name of Christ means I suffer for the glory of God, like Christ suffered for the glory of God. And sometimes when you're healed, it's like, Jesus healed me. Glory to God. And you can jump around and praise him. But I want to close with this verse. James. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We are commanded as a church to pray for the healing of one another. So in a moment, I'm going to pray in Jesus' powerful name, the name that made the crippled man get up. And I'm inviting you, if you would like prayer, during the worship time that's coming up now, to come forward, sit in the front row, and I'm inviting a few prayer people up to pray with us, with me. We want to lift whatever you got going on to God. And if God, in the name of Jesus' great power, wants to do a miracle, let's see it happen. Let's see it today. It's all according to His will. There's no reason He can't do it, even here, even now. There's no reason except according to His will. What does He want? So I'm going to pray. Ushers, could I ask you to come up? Uh, people that I've asked to pray, would you come up to the very front row and just sit in, the, in, there's four different sections here. Worship team, you can come up too. I'm going to pray for the offering we're going to take now. I'm going to pray for this time we have together. And if God is saying to you, go forward, get prayer. Come forward and get prayer. We'll be doing this for the rest of the service. When the worship's over, if you still need prayer and you didn't come up, we'll make time. Let me pray. Jesus, uh, would you forgive me for being so skeptical sometimes about your doing powerful acts in our midst? I know that there's the charlatans out there. I, I know. I know. But Lord, I dare not let that influence me to doubt your working amongst us. And the necessity to call out to you, as James says, ask for the healing. Pray for one another. Lord, I cannot say how you will answer each prayer that goes out today. But I'm so thankful to know that you will answer. You will give a response. And it will be a loving response, a compassionate response. A It will be you acting in our lives, whether by providence or whether by miracle. We know you will act. Whether it seems ordinary or extraordinary, we trust you to be involved in each of our lives. 
and that you're bringing glory to yourself through our weaknesses, through our infirmities, and through our healings. We trust you. Father, as we give now, we want to give this offering to you. Ask your blessing on it. Ask your blessing on this time we have right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you 